you know, wild honey was just was easy and simple, and we made it at Brian's house for the most part. That was a cool album. We kind of went, ah, pressure's off, let's just do this. And welcome back to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for joining me and kicking off this new season of the pod. Kicking it off today with Wild Honey and a Wild Homie will appear later in the show. Stay tuned. First, a huge shout out to our friend Jackie in New York. We love you. We wish you a speedy recovery. To Rich and Alice, the most sincere well wishes on your wedding from your buddy Tom and me, of course. A huge thanks to Beth for coming out to Tybee Island. Always good to see you. And uh, shout out to Christian in Wilkesboro, North Carolina, who I ran into quite randomly at a Walmart. I can't go anywhere these days because you sailors are everywhere. Really appreciate it. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to our newest patrons of the show, Evan Toll, John Leonard, Eduardo, Victoria, Chris Spayhart, Joseph Swafford, and Mark Palmer. You guys are keeping the show running, keeping those advertisements off the show. And thank you for checking out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash on. There's lots of extra stuff there, radio episodes and extended interviews, and lots more on the way. We love you! You guys may remember George Faulkner from a few episodes back. He recorded a fantastic album of Murray Wilson songs, some that were never pressed to wax until now. Well, he's got about 50 copies of his brilliant LP left. And as a bonus incentive, I'm happy to break the news here. He's including an exclusive CD of a Murray acetate that was found in a Salvation Army bin by a collector and then sold to George himself. Here's an exclusive sneak peek at For You and Me from Murray Wilson, recorded direct to acetate in 1953. Head over to murraywilson.com if you want to snag one of these awesome bundles. And this is not an ad. George is a good friend, and he's doing amazing work for this community. So please check it out. Okay, next up, we are going to listen to some voicemails from you guys. First one is from Dave. Hello, Wyatt. This is Dave Hancock from Knoxville, Tennessee. I want to say thank you for such a great podcast you're putting on with Sail On. Well done. Uh, I can't imagine the amount of work that goes into the research and production, and you present it so well. It's really enjoyable to listen to. I'm deployed right now, uh, and your podcast has been the sa- uh, soundtrack of my deployment. So I've really enjoyed 
hearing all the episodes and I got spoiled catching up on them until now. Uh, finally through them all. So I feel like I've become friends with you and Jason and I miss hearing from you. So I wanted to call and say hello. Uh, I was introduced to Beach Boys at the age of eight when my dad picked up a uh, cassette tape from Kmart, the Surf's Up cassette. Starts with Surfing USA and ends with all summer long. Uh, and I've been playing, singing along with that music ever since. Uh, my folks gave me guitar lessons for six weeks, and uh, I couldn't play anything else, but I made sure I learned how to play the intro to Fun, Fun, Fun. That's where I got out of my lessons. I remember um, when my younger brother took over my lawn business, one of our older customers, Mrs. Hanselman, came out and said, Johnny, why is it that you aren't singing Beach Boy songs while you mow our grass like your brother did? So he had to step it up a little bit. Anyhow, I'd love to meet you and your whole band with Sail On. I've looked at all the videos and photos on the website. Y'all do a great job, and I can't wait to make one of the concerts when it comes to any, anywhere in Tennessee, the next chance I get. Uh, I'd love to see how you break down those songs. Some are pretty tricky, and you're doing well. Anyway, looking forward to your next episode, getting into your late 60s and early 70s albums, because I'm less familiar with those songs than I was with the... Uh, Surfing cars and Google songs. Um, so rock on and keep smiling, man. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much. That was really sweet. It's uh, it's always nice to hear from someone in Tennessee, and we do make it over to the eastern part of the state from time to time. So check the tour dates, sailonsounds.com slash tour. And uh, thank you for your service, man. This voicemail is from Travis. Hey guys, I just wanted to say I've been listening to the podcast uh, for a little while now. I'm a new listener, and I've really been enjoying it. I love y'all's insight about all the Beach Boys music. And uh, I just wanted to tell a bit about my Beach Boys story. I'm a little younger of a fan than some of your other listeners. I'm only 19, but uh, I discovered the boys uh, through a, the same way a lot of the older listeners did by the Endless Summer LP from 74. Uh, and I just loved every song on that. I was really blown away by the production and the arrangements on it because I was becoming a musician myself. And I remember hearing Let Him Run Wild, and I just thought that song was amazing, and it was so different from anything the Beatles had ever done in the 60s like that. And I did eventually get to see Brian uh, live in 2018 when he came to Dallas. He was doing the Christmas album tour. So that was great seeing him and Al and Blondie there. And uh, I just want to say I love the podcast. I love all your episodes. I just finished your Summer of Love episode. It's very cool. And, uh, well, I look forward to the Friends album. It's definitely one of my favorites. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Travis, for calling in and sharing your story. Glad to have you along for the ride. I am also looking forward to talking about Friends. Coming up next is one more voicemail. This is from Ryan in Vermont. Hi, uh, this is Ryan from Bennington, Vermont. Just started listening to your Sail On podcast and just want to say that I'm absolutely loving it. Just now getting into the Pet Sounds stuff, which is just phenomenal. Um, one of the episodes I just listened to was the Caroline No episode, and I just wanted to comment on these Beach Boys boys that you had mentioned in the beginning of the episode, and I personally will not be checking out their podcast. I think that the clip that you played of them was enough for me. Uh, their name almost even sounds like a mockery of the Beach Boys music, and I almost feel like they just made their podcast in spite of you it just it all seems so very weird but what i wanted to comment on was just how well you handled that i mean you didn't get down and dirty with it you just kind of pointed out some facts and said yeah these guys are whatever but uh i don't know they just sound like a bunch of tools to me who are just trying to be funny or whatever but that being said you guys actually are funny it needs to be appreciated that you guys understand when to use humor and when not to because there's a lot of really serious stuff that you talk about in your podcast but also a lot of really light stuff and i think your personalities really shine through a lot especially when you're talking about the bad stuff because you like 
Beach Boys fans, you understand that you gotta have a sense of humor to appreciate the band. But I just wanted to comment on you guys as personalities. I know a lot of people talk about the music and the information, which is all amazing. The execution of this podcast is just so awesome. And this is coming from a former broadcaster. I've, you know, edited audio and produced shows and done that kind of thing. And I'm just really a enjoying what you guys are doing and it's just given me something to uh, enjoy with my days off I'm actually currently unemployed just wanted to express my appreciation for what you guys are doing I love it I'm learning a lot of stuff getting in deep and that's thanks to you guys uh, it's been about 20 years since I started listening to the Beach Boys and it took about that long for me to realize that they're my favorite band. Very long process. I don't know what took so long for me to truly come around. I've always liked them, but now I just am obsessed. And I think you guys have really had a hand in helping me get to that point. So thank you for that and keep up the great work. Ryan, thank you so much, man. That's really kind of you. And um, yeah, the Beach Boys boys, um, they aren't doing a podcast anymore. I did get to meet um, PJ from that show. I think I mentioned it before. Um, it was a while back now before coronavirus and all that stuff. But um, he's a really nice guy, despite what you might think. Um, you know, I just try and keep it real with you guys. I'm very much a, just one of you. I'm a fan of the band. I'm not an expert. Um, I never will be, but I'm lucky to have people on my team that make this show special. And um, it's really awesome to get to meet all you guys by way of this podcast, something that I didn't think many people would ever listen to. But, um, you know, it's been really, really exciting. And I'm excited to keep it going I really appreciate the kind words and the emails and voicemails. It really does make this worth it. I can't express that enough. Thank you guys so much. And um, here we go. On September 18th, 1967, the Beach Boys released Smiley Smile, their first album since Pet Sound, 16 months earlier. As we illustrated in the last episode, the scene was changing at a breakneck pace, and that relatively minimalist album was met with confusion and disappointment. It charted at a mere 41 on the Billboard 200, capping off a disastrous summer for the band. Brian said, Smiley Smile bombed. It was such a different sound for us, for anybody really. The public wasn't ready for it. Next was Wild Honey. That was a quick one, maybe the quickest. We were going to do that Hawaii live album, but it didn't pan out. And right after Smiley Smile, we went back into the studio. I got inspired and wrote a whole bunch of songs in an R&B style, collaborated with Mike on the lyrics, and started recording in my house. The band played all the instruments ourselves. We started late September and had the record done by mid-November and out by mid-December. I thought it sounded great. Another total departure. Wild Honey did much better than Smiley Smile and got us back on the radio. We scored two top 20 singles, Wild Honey and Darlin', with Carl wailing on lead vocals. And then we were on to another record. Did I get it? All right. Joining me today is a longtime friend of the pod and myself, fellow 60s music nerd, the mono mixologist <laughs> himself. This is Freddie French Pounce. I call him Freddie. You can call him Frederick or Fred, right? You can call me anything that probably begins with FRE because I get all of them. <laughs> nice. So, uh, no, it's great, to, it's great to finally be here. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we've been friends for a while chatting and um obviously a fan of the pod um so it's fun to finally actually join forces i guess <laughs> fred has a couple of podcasts um they're both fantastic one that i featured on our patreon feed before is called mixology where he breaks down differences between mono and stereo mixes from the 1960s Hello friends and welcome back to Mixology, 
the show where I break down the mono and stereo differences from classic albums from the 60s and ultimately let you decide which is preferable for you. And today we're going to be taking a look at 1967's Wild Honey by the Beach Boys. Originally released on the 18th of December 1967, the album would be their second of that year, following on from their Smile sessions, including the Smiley Smile album, which would eventually come what, out. What, what got you into doing that in the first place? Was it just collecting records? Well, I mean, it's an interesting one in the sense that as often things do, it all stems back to the Beatles, obviously. Um, when I was exploring that world in sort of late 2009, mostly 2010, um, I stumbled across a YouTube video of, um, I can't, I, I remember trying to look for it a couple of years ago and it got taken down due to copyright um, issues, unfortunately, which is a real shame. But it's basically someone took, like, someone, their, their friend had recommended them the Beatles in Mono Box. And they start and they checked out thinking, oh, what's this? I had no idea what, obviously, like, as say, most people obviously, no idea. Um, and it, it was just, there was just something about it that said there's this real difference between the two. And then from there, obviously, you dive in. There's obviously so much writing online about mono and stereo differences on Beatles recordings, as there is with any Beatles things. Um, and there were so many interesting ones that I was fascinating i've always been one that i guess a, a little bit of a collectaholic if you like with various things and i think the idea of having these different mixes was really fascinating to me um i did find a bootleg later that year or online of that compiled lots of beatles mixing differences there's so many random ones throughout the world um and then things kind of the spiral from there i mean obviously with again with the beatles there's the the US version of I feel fine with all the echo on it. So it's more like, Oh, this mix is different. This is, and telling people about it and no one obviously caring. <laughs> um, but it's just your own little world. And then eventually you realize, Oh, other bands have these differences as well. And, um, eventually obviously there was uh, beach boys ones as well, which was fun. Obviously there's a big chunk of that, which didn't have any differences originally because there were no stereo mixes for that period including the one we're talking about today until much later. And I guess because I was doing the Back to Mono podcast anyway, which I did for a friend's online radio station as a bit of fun, I kind of had considered doing one to compare the differences, but I wasn't too sure how to approach it. And eventually, at the start of 2020, I think, right at the beginning, I decided to kind of just have a stab at doing one for Rubber Soul, um and while that episode is i i'm missing a couple of bits shall we say um i kind of then took it from there and then from the next one side so just to make it a podcast and just keep going and people seem to enjoy it um so and i find so many weird differences just doing it that i never noticed until i was really picking things apart and um it's it's really going through with a fine comb and it's obviously not for everyone but it's it's good fun there's some fun things that i'd never noticed before as well so um it's a bit of a lengthy way of going about it but <laughs> there's the history no it's cool um it blows my mind I, I think i remember hearing like listening to one of andrew sandoval's shows like a few years ago and he played some single mix of something and i can't remember what it is but some 60s thing and it, oh, it was, uh, it was the zombies. It was this will be our year. Oh yeah, yeah. The horns on it, and it blew my mind. I was like, I've never heard this before. I'd only heard the, the, the version on the CD. What's interesting about that is that the horn version was the only one that existed until I think the '90s, because the original yeah. LP had it in fake stereo. Um, and then they, when it came to the nice, they thought, oh, we can actually make a stereo mix, but the horns were done on the mono mix down so they can't be separated yeah. and all that jazz. But I, I was the same. That was the only version I knew. And I remember mm. when I finally got uh, the, a copy of the mono mix, I thought, God, this sounds, it sounds strange, but now it's the one I'm yeah. used to because right. it's obviously what was intended. And now the stereo sounds empty, but it's just that weird thing of it's, it is what you're used to. Yeah, it's a whole crazy world of course and if you want to enter that world you can check out fred's podcast mixology there's a link in the show notes also um 
he mentioned his show Back to Mono, which uh, is in and out of circulation depending <laughs> on what uh, <laughs> it's, it's exclusively on Mixcloud now because um, right. record labels weren't such a fan, unfortunately. Sure. Um, but yeah, and they're they're coming for me too at some point, so I'm just you know biding my time. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you can check that out. Um, have you ever considered doing one of those? And I know it, it completely goes against kind of what the whole point of the show is. But have you ever considered doing one of those Spotify music and words podcasts? You know what they do now where yeah, you can actually insert. Those. Yeah, you can actually insert songs from the Spotify catalog into. I've considered doing that because I've been combing through Spotify because I made a big back to mono playlist that uh, for people to find and for my own personal enjoyment. Um, So I've scoped out a lot of what is available there in mono. Um, There's a lot that isn't, unfortunately. There's some obviously big gaps. So like the Beatles, for the most part, Simon and Garfunkel, there's nothing. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's, there's challenges in that regard. But there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of the more, more obscure or random sort of singles only acts and things like that only have mono mixes so in that regard it's not a challenge there but i've temp- i've been tempted to look into that but yeah i mean obviously because i use needle drops almost exclusively from records for it it, it does feel like it defies the point but it would be nice to have the the yeah the accessibility yeah that's the trade-off but yeah i mean i think here in the the here in the vinyl is is pretty special and uh that's kind of what you know brought me to your show and also to you know andrew sandoval's show come to the sunshine which always i love and and you know was a big inspiration for this show and the radio shows i do on the patreon feed but um let's uh let's get into a little beach boys uh when i was um putting together kind of a roadmap for the podcast I was looking for a good opportunity for you to come join me on the show. I really enjoyed your analysis of Wild Honey that you did. I guess it was last year at some point. Yeah. And um realized that you're pretty keen on that record. So uh I figured let's let's chat a little bit about Wild Honey. Oh, there he is. He's flexing all uh <laughs> for you audio listeners. Fred is holding a plethora of wild honey variations on vinyl is that four different uh well there's four issues. different technically there's five here but one of them is just for <laughs> bulking I when, that. I, when i was originally collecting this uk copy is absolutely beat up and is not even playable i just wanted a uk copy originally and it was oh, yeah. or something uh then i have a uk one a us original the stereo reissue from well the remix from 2017 and uh it's a french stereo obviously it was fake stereo um one which was my first copy and if you listen to the mixology on the album there's a weird extra bonus slate number if you like at the beginning of um side two that's only on there which is really random saying the catalog number with a lot of echo on it so so i kept that one because it's a fun little oddity this is the beginning of uh a new season for us we're going to be talking about wild honey friends and 2020 kind of one of the more exciting things for me since we started doing this podcast and I've been looking forward to this era for a while. I've always been a huge fan of, of friends and um, to be honest, I've never really been a huge wild honey fan. It's probably in my top 15 Beach Boys records, but uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. I mean, uh, smiley smile was, was the same way, but after, you know, countless hours of research and listening and and um hearing will and john's perspective on it i've really seen it in a new light and i'm such a big fan of it um so i'm hoping that by the time we finish whatever three episodes or whatnot on wild honey that i will be renewed with love and and reverence for this record um and it's not that i don't really enjoy wild honey there's just a few spots that i don't uh that i'm not crazy about that's all and i'm i like the overall feel of it um and i enjoy the the songwriting and there's so much brian on this record that i i can't not love it but it's an interesting period because 
um, the Beach Boys kind of got out of the production race and decided to, you know, try and do new things rather than try and keep up with what everyone else was doing. And they were really inspired by what was going on in uh, like Motown and Stax and like more soul and R&B records. And um, even doing a, a, a cover of a contemporary song by Stevie Wonder. I was made to love her and, and did an amazing version of it. But I think that really is kind of the center point for me when I think about Wild Honey. I think about that song and Carl's vocal and kind of the, the first time that you really hear that version of Carl for me. You know, the soulful, powerful, confident Carl Wilson. Yes, I mean, it's one of those ones that I, I I know when I first got a copy of the LP and, well, I think I origi- I had the two for CD originally um, and then weirdly I picked up from the same guy a copy of the Smiley Smile LP and the Wild Honey LP, which is weirdly just kind of keeping in trend, I guess. Um, and I was always sort of like, oh, this is nice. I, I was always slow to pick up on things and I still am, but there's just something about this album to me that, really just feels warm and comfortable it's a very it is a sunny day in that that kind of relaxed sense rather than kind of being almost sun drenched if that makes sense it's more like sitting out on the on the back porch if you like um i mean it's it it has the vibe of an album that is made at home not just in the obviously the production but the actual compositional and uh the musical quality of it i suppose it feels very laid back even when it's at its more i guess yeah r&b moments aren't you glad obviously is such a wonderful little pop pop gem on on here which appears almost right at the beginning um and that has so much again it's one of those brian songs that does so much in such a short period of time um which is such a common thing for brian to do
There's a lot of things that just breeze past you. And I think it is because it's so short, it is very easy to kind of overlook it if you're not listening to it at the same time. If you just pop it, pop it on the background, then kind of carry on. It's like, oh, that's finished. That's done. Um, So, and once you know it, it fits that perfectly. But until you listen, you really listen to it and kind of just spend some time with it, it does miss that punching i guess and i think that's why i didn't gravitate to it so much in the immediacy i mean also as well obviously and i'm sure it's something i'll mention later obviously is a, a real highlight of it is the collaboration between brian and mike and mike's it's some i'd say it's some of mike's best lyrics on this album for sure mm-hmm. yeah it's um it's interesting you mentioned like it's so short and i always thought about friends as being like the shortest Beach Boys record, but this is like shorter by at least a minute than Friends, yeah. even. It's kind of crazy. And it does kind of breeze by. Like, I was listening to it this week, and, you know, I was listening to the the uh, Sunshine Tomorrow version. I'm sure you have an issue with that, but... Uh, <laughs> you don't need to give me excuses. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have... I'm always like, oh, my friend's going to hate that I played this version of this on the show. You know, there's always that. Now that I have Will and John, though, they always specify what version I should be using. So that's nice. But <laughs> I was listening to Wild Honey, and it breezed by. And um, before I knew it, I was on to Lonely Days. And I was thinking, man, like, they really could have added a couple more tunes onto this thing. Because um, they had some more stuff percolating. But anyway, it's, um, it is a really short record. It is really cool seeing brian and mike writing together i'm always a huge fan of that i think i think mike was brian's best collaborator and i know that's kind of sacrilegious to say when you've got tony asher and and van dyke parks but i think just the the scope of what they did is fantastic and you know even into the 70s and and whatnot they were writing great songs together it is interesting that this is the last time that brian really is the main writer and i always thought kind of in my mind that friends was a brian wilson record but he's just one of the guys kind of at that point yeah um but he's still obviously producing the record and playing all over the place here um the record kind of just centers around his piano and uh bruce plays some bass i know he's mentioned that he plays bass on wild honey which is an awesome bass part. And these guys are funky. I mean, like Brian's piano playing is great. Um, you know, the, the drumming is minimalist, but it's really, really good. It fits the sound of the record. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many cool things going on in the, in the arrangements. And even though they're really simple, it's really fun to listen to. And I'm always learning new things every time I listen to it. Um, my favorite track, I go back and forth, but I really love Let the Wind Blow. That song always stood out to me. It's such a somber song, and I love the the imagery. It's just great. Fallen snow, let the moon 
it certainly feels like the the real picture painter on here if you like it there's a real just kind of visual that comes along with it i mean i suppose in that regard for me it's kind of a, a, a similar feel but I, I, despite not having it despite i don't know being almost half instrumental i suppose i always come back to country air um I'm not sure specifically. I remember first hearing it, interestingly, on because it was the B-side of Darling in the UK. Um, yeah. And I picked up the single, or the boot fair or whatever, and was just playing it. I don't often get songs that hit me straight away. I'm one of those ones that always has to, things have to grow on me a bit. But that was one that just kind of grabbed me instantly. I don't know if it's because I grew mm-hmm. up in the country, but there's just something about the feel of it that... I love the yeah the wordless verses and the the, the chorus is just there's something really elatory about it and really just rising and happy. Another highlight for me is I love just wants to see you, which is one of those kind of um, slice of life Brian Wilson songs. Yeah, just kind of matter of fact, like I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I just think that that kind of sums up Brian's lyric writing. I'm doing this and I'm doing that because <laughs> you know? he's just so like straightforward. It's just like here's what I'm doing. Here's how I feel. Um, but I love this song, and it's so bizarre how it just builds up to this. I love just wants to see you in the nude. I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm a walk on the floor. I drink a little of this and eat a little that, and poke my head out the door. I get thinking I'm a wasting the night away. I wouldn't mind if I could get with you right away. Oh, honey, don't know how long it's been But this feeling's building up inside again I wash the dishes and I rinse up the sink Like a busy bee I make up a song as I'm working along No one's watching me I wish that you were here to help me dry When's the last time you baked me a pie? Had a way of making it come alive It's not too late for you to take a drive I'd love just once to see you I'd love just once to see you I'd love just once to see you in the nude 
I wonder, because obviously it is credited to Brian and Mike. Did Mike actually write anything on it? Or may- maybe it doesn't just sound like it to me. Lines. I mean, it might yeah. be just one of those things where, I mean, they're all just, they're just going to split the credits on all these songs. And maybe Mike helped him with a few rhymes or lines here and there. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like a Brian lyric. Very much so. We'll see what the we'll see what the Wiz kids have to say next next time on the show. Yeah. But um it's very cool. I love that song. Um and I guess like the I guess the, the lowlights for me, I'm not crazy about Here Comes the Night in either form, but I I, I just never loved that song and I never loved how she boogalooed it. Um, I mean Boogalooed isn't it's one of those ones that I kind of enjoyed initially in a sense of like oh this is because it was just it was something a little bit different but mm-hmm. it does kind of feel like this weird kind of track sliced in at the end obviously before Mama says it, yeah. it, it is very random and obviously I realize he's probably slightly sped up but Carl sounds so weird on it um, I, I, I read a comment that once said he sounded like uh, like Cartman from South Park <laughs> and I've never unheard that um that's funny but um i mean you say about here comes the night i i do enjoy the track um i know it's one of my wife's favorites but i interestingly i do find that shout out lucy yeah (laughs) all the time um but i do find that the remix on sunshine tomorrow shock horror coming from me elevates the track um somewhat because it is the original mono mix is just covered in tape hiss it's so muddy especially the vocal and the remix really brings it out and i remember the first time i heard it i was i, I was genuinely kind of like whoa this is because it, mm-hmm. it 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 makes it feel more complete just by the fact that it's not so muddy um yeah i mean obviously the other version of it is a whole another kessler fish and i'm sure we'll get into that um in about 25 years time but um sure yeah, no, I do enjoy the track. Um, I mean, if it's a low light, I have always been also mixed on. It's interesting that it comes at the end of side one, a thing or two. I think mainly due to the arrangement. I think you say about the min- minimalist drums. I think the lack of drum pace on this is what kind of kills it. It almost feels like someone's muted the drum track. Um, it feels like it should be kind of hitting just more I mean on a more standard beat I suppose and I suppose not doing that makes it a bit more unique but it just it just doesn't quite fill it out for me um, yeah. I think the the mono mix at least the original version with an extra pause at the end makes for a bit more of a artistic flair to it that keeps it a bit fresher which is weirdly edited out on the 2000 version um of the of the remaster and is i think that's the only master it's Hmm. ever got since then so um before the final chorus but no going back to kind of the mixes of this record what do you what do you go to like if you just want to listen to this record what's your preferred version um i i mean i tend to usually whip out the mono version just by the fact that I mean, I have I have both copies. I do love both versions. I think it's just kind of that instinctual thing that, while often there are like remixes that I do really enjoy, I'm very much a purist in the sense of I want the I, I usually want the mix that was done at the time. So I'm not always sort of like oh it has to be the mono or the stereo mix, but I usually prefer the '60s version. I do enjoy the 2017 stereo mix a lot. Don't get me wrong on that. And I think this is, as far as remix albums go for 60s albums, this is definitely up there as one of the best, um, as it stays very faithful to the original. There's a few bits and pieces here and there, which, again, I've covered before. But um, And digitally, it's, it, I meant you can kind of make it that little bit more accurate because they fix that little piano bit in Aren't You Glad with the quote-unquote stereo single version on Sunshine Tomorrow too. Right where it mutes before the first verse. Um, so I'm glad they did that. It's a shame that that's not the version on the vinyl, but it's a nice little mono stereo difference, I suppose. And it's one of those things that often bits not being muted in the stereo mix that are muted in the mono mix is a very common thing I find in just 60 stereo mixes anyway. So that's almost a, an accurate representation of what it could have been, I suppose. I like the 2017 mix a lot. I think it's yeah. done really well. 
um, first time that you hear certain aspects of the record because before it was kind of muddled a little bit here and there. Um, and it kind of got me re-energized when that came out. I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, but I did recently acquire um, the original mono mix, the U.S. pressing, thanks to um, my fellow sale on bandmate, Matt. He spotted it for me, and it's in really great condition. So I've been listening to that, and I think it, it sounds really nice. Um, and, uh, you know, this was, this was a weird, this was a weird record that the weird, another thing that was interesting to me is like this thing where they were put out, putting out singles and then using songs from other records as B sides, you know, like what is, uh, when did that become a thing? Because wild honey came out with wind chimes as the B side. And we've seen this like with a bunch of other tracks here and there, but I don't know. It's just I strange. Think it's, um, I think it's one of those things that yeah, I, you do often see it on some singles at the time. Obviously, earlier Beach Boys ones are kind of yeah. intentional in that trying to get a double A side. I think by this point, I mean, if you think about Good Vibrations, it's got Let's Go Away for a while on the flip. And I suppose that's yeah. le- leading into the same thing. But um, And it is interesting how different countries would try and push the commerciability a bit more i mean the uk wendy was the b-side of good vibrations which is why it's quite well known here um Mm -hmm. which also seems really random in hindsight but um i mean it's often i think they'd i guess the beach boys or a group in any instance or an artist would give the record company here's the next single and they'll just take a track off the previous album to put on the b-side and i guess they'd pick one that hadn't been released on a single before why wind chimes Mm -hmm. i have no idea I mean, Darlin has, I believe, in America here today on the B-side. Am I correct in that? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Which is, mm-hmm. um, which yep. is, I, mean, is I mean, it's a old, old song in, by 60s standards at that, that stage. But it's certainly one that has a bit more commerciality to it in um, the, compared to something like Wind Chimes, for sure. Um, yeah, it is a very strange one. I mean, this, I mean, it carries on. The B side of "Do It Again" is "Wake the World," and right. Um, yeah, I think once you get to the rest of the twenty twenty singles, they are all twenty twenty tracks, if you will. But that's obviously mm. before mm-hmm. it was kind of hod- hodged podged together. So yeah. that kind of ends there. But it is an interesting thing that I mean, the wind chimes with "Wild Honey" one is the strangest thing because. I mean, I don't know what what I'd, I mean, if they're picking something else from Smiley Smile. I don't really know what else would have gone on there. I mean, obviously, Getting Hungry had already been a A side. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if they were then willing to go back to Pet Sounds for the next single, sure. Yeah, it's strange. Capital Records. <laughs>
I, I'm going to throw it in there as well. See that mm-hmm. I I love the album cover. I love that idea that it was just mm. a wind. It was it's just a photo of a section of window in Brian's home, isn't it? Yep. Which is really cool in the sense that it's like oh, like it's very because it's such a homespun album. It kind of it really is throwing that in there as well. It's kind of like a picture of almost the recording location. Um. And I think it, it suits it per- with the, just with the B in the corner. It suits it absolutely perfectly. Depending on who you ask, Mike or Brian came up with the, the title Wild Honey because they saw a, a jar of honey in the room and just said, hey, that's a name that we should use. I mean, it says that on the back of the LP. Um, so yeah. at, at least it's a contemporary account. Obviously, it doesn't yep. specify who... Who said it? it was just honey of the wild variety on a shelf in Brian's kitchen was not only an aid to all the Beach Boys' health, but the source of inspiration for the record, Wild Honey. Yeah, I love the packaging of this. Um, if you do have this record, it's got a cool sleeve and the back is really neat. And I love the lettering and the, the typeface that yeah. they use on this. It's fun. The pictures of the members on the back, I find it interesting they didn't do a group shot. It's like slices of a photo for each of them. I don't actually know where they're all from. I'm sure Will and John can pick that apart. Obviously, the mm-hmm. the Dennis and Brian one are from that beach shoot that's around that time. Um, right, right. But I've always found the Bruce one a little strange because it's so face on and he's got that moustache that I don't think suits him very well. <laughs> when I see my baby Like I said, check out Fred's podcast, Mixology. There's a link in the show notes. Thank you so much, buddy, for taking the time. It's been a long time coming. It's my pleasure. And um, your insight is always welcome on the show. Love to have you back sometime. Always happy, always happy to come back. Uh, And if you're keen, maybe you can uh, stick around and you and I plus Will and John can do a little Feel Flows roundtable. Talk about what we like, what we don't like. Uh, some notable tracks, omissions, all that stuff. I'm sure I can. Give my love to the fam. All right, buddy. Thank you so much again.
No problem. Thank you. Eat a lot, sleep a lot, brush them like crazy. Run a lot, do a lot, never be lazy. Back by popular demand, our good friend and contributor, Steve Bonilla, with his thoughts on wild honey. Okay, so, um, hi again. Wild honey. People talk about it uh, maybe in two general ways. One is uh, going back to the roots type of thing, and that, you know people compare it maybe with uh, John Wesley Harding. Uh, maybe there was a little movement back toward roots music, folk, blues, country, what have you. That and the Beach Boys doing their take on R&B. They went back, but they went back to summer days and summer nights, in my view. And uh, they were doing R&B. And what was... I'm trying to think, what was R&B to Mike and to Brian? Mike has mentioned R&B groups like uh, the, the, the Robins... And Richard Berry. I mean, the there were uh, the, the coasters, uh, the various doo-wop groups that were sort of had that L.A. sound. Uh, Hank Ballard, um, getting into early Ike and Tina Turner, which uh, Brian uh, or the Iquettes, you know, the the Beach Boys certainly knew the, that material. Uh, but there was also uh, Dion. So, so American bands, whether you were a garage band or you were a lounge band or even recording artists, usually there were uh, R&B covers in there. And, um, you, know, use, you know, if you're a recording artist, you might put those in, the, uh, in your encore or you're, you're revving up your last set. Uh, a lounge band certainly had to know numbers that everyone knew uh, that would get people on the dance floor. Um, cover bands uh, oftentimes those were the songs you might first I mean uh, garage bands oftentimes those might be the first songs you learn uh, some of the first songs I learned were you know Around and Around and Louie Louie and uh, other songs that, or later uh, Midnight Hour um, so I, I think I think Brian was doing what could realistically be pulled off by the Beach Boys. They didn't have a funk drummer or a soul drummer, per se, that someone that could do James Brown drum licks. Uh, but they were following... Uh, they were following Motown, and that goes... That's That was happening on summer days and summer nights. Uh, on... on uh, Girl from New York City. You could say, oh, it's the ad libs and that dun 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 dun. But there were a lot of dun 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 chord progressions. There was Can I Get a Witness? There was uh, You Turn Me On. There was a plethora of songs of that chord progression. And one of the songs that had that progression was uh, Bread and Butter. I believe that Brian was on to that song. 
in a big way. First of all, because it had that extreme sort of uh, head voice falsetto uh, singing in there. You know, the new beats were before they showed their faces on TV. They were getting a lot of. Uh, black radio play. People thought they were a black group, maybe not unlike the Capitals or the Rivingtons. Uh, so I think in Brian's mind, he looked at that as an R&B song. And I think he, when he was recording that first iteration of Good Vibrations, as an, uh, uh, trying to pitch an, an R&B track idea to Warners, whichever label it may have been, Loma is my guess, is that that voice he uses in the chorus is the voice of the new beats. And the tempo and the bump, 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 bump goes more with bread and butter. It's not, it's, it, it just, to me, it feels like it. Also, the bread and butter thing, it's the literal chorus of uh, Let Him Run Wild. So, you know, you, you have a girl from New York City quoting Martha and the Vandellas. You have... Uh, Letterman Wild basically copying the, the Motown kind of sound with the sa Barry Sachs, uh, the vibes and uh, that quarter note swing thing. Also on Girl from New York City, I hear that I know that I, he was having the sax player, tr they were trying out different riffs. Okay, how does this, how is this, how is this? At some point he, he mentions that it's uh, a dance song. So the, the dance element is very important. But what Brian, out of all of those little, little ideas, how about this, how about this? He chooses a little riff that's a lot like the last two bars of the sax solo in uh, Where Did Our Love Go? And you know that's a that's in a shuffle rhythm, and and girl from New York City is straight eighth notes. Uh, but to me, that's that's a that's a Motown thing. Um, so I I see Wild Honey is continuing where he left off with Summer Days and Summer Nights up to that first iteration of, of Good Vibrations. You know, we all know what happened after that, this whole big, crazy journey. Uh, so getting back into a smaller studio, what can what can the band pull off in a, in a realistic way? Um, I think the, 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 f the funkiest, maybe soul... Here come the judge. Kind of a riff is the the little fill. And here comes the night. But the rest is pretty straightforward. You know, Carl's singing and Carl and Brian singing some soulful stuff. Uh, but I, I, so for me, it's it's more of a Motown record than a than an R and B record because there was no there was no. They weren't copying soul artists and trying to do that. They, um, the other element to what I think it is, is the sound that the Loving Spoonful got uh, just just right before that. Uh, if you um, full measure, you know, it's uh, piano, tech piano, organ. Uh, I think there's a heavy heavy snare in there and tambourine. Uh, listen to the intro part of, of that track and uh, it kind of I don't know, has the, up, the upstroke of the guitar, I think. And it's not that that far off from the, the, the sound that they're getting on, on Here Comes a Night. That's that's my take on it. They were just continuing what what maybe was his trajectory at that point. Okay, <laughs> that was that's it for right now. Always love hearing from Steve. Thank you so much for the insight. Fantastic. Thanks to Freddie again for being on the show. 
Look forward to our roundtable discussion of fuel flows with Will and John. And of course, next time we will have Will and John back to tell us all about the sessions for Wild Honey, how they got those awesome sounds and vibes in the studio in Brian's house. And of course, thanks to Will C for the brand new mixes. Really enjoying those. Hope you guys are digging them too. Until next time, this is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Be kind to each other. Sail on, sailors.